Cheers, Worcester. It's March the 6th, 2018, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. Today, we're talking transit and licensing with Vinyl Aficionado and Central Massachusetts ACOU Field Coordinator, Chris Robarge. Hi, Chris. Hey, guys. How are you today? We're doing good. I'm Mike Benedetti, and this is Brendan Malikin. Here I am. Mike, I think you misplaced a vowel when you were introducing Chris there. What a... What which vowel? I think it was a U you missed. You 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 are Chris Robarge. Um, a Brent, rolling L on your ACLU. ACLU Brent crude oil is sixty six dollars a barrel, down one percent on the week, and Bitcoin is up two percent to ten thousand eight hundred dollars. We are broadcasting on Worcester's Unity Radio, zero point zero 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 one gigawatts of power on one hundred two point nine FM. We are cable casting on WCCA TV one ninety four and podcasting at pieandcoffee.org. You can email us at pieandcoffee at gmail.com or call into the show at 508-471-5265. And a shout out to the mighty Hank Stoltz for engineering today's program. Brendan. Yes. What's your top? What's the top story in Worcester this week? Well, you know, I, I had a suggestion for you. I think we need to start tracking the price of uh, steel and aluminum okay. as well. Now that it we're seems going timely, in, doesn't it? We're going into tariff mode. I don't know that uh, Brent crude is as relevant as it was once, uh, maybe like two weeks ago when you started that experiment. I like I like the phrase Brent crude way more than the phrase steel and aluminum, though. It uh, has a, Mike, we already have, have a phone. Call. We already have a phone call. Hello, caller. This can say goodbye. Oh, That's a really great point, caller. So we've had a request to talk about this week's city council agenda. We will talk about this week's city council agenda. Also, I kind of want to talk about pedestrian traffic fatalities and transit, maybe occupational licensing, probably uh, physical vinyl records. You're really in a good mood today. Oh, I'm in a great mood today. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a while. I mean, we, have, we haven't done a lot of shows the last few years, but it's been a few years since you were on this show, so it's great to have you back. Yes, thank you. I've been missing it, and uh, I've been missing the show in general, so I'm really happy you guys are back. I think Worcester Radio has been missing your amazing bass voice. Thank you very much. I fake it. My normal voice is like about three octaves higher than this. <laughs> um, do you guys do you guys have a, a vote on what we're going to talk about first? No, just dive right in. You get an agenda. That, ca- that, mean, the that agenda, caller, right? well, yeah, I'll take the caller suggestion and talk about this week's Worcester City Council agenda. Um, this week, under the topic of making streets public, the council will vote to make a bunch of streets near Assumption College public streets. These are Knapp Avenue, Myrick Avenue. Pelican Avenue, Phoebe Way, and Toronita Avenue. I think maybe some of these already, part of them are already public, but this week is the big week that they're all going to become officially voted to become public streets. It's exciting. Good luck, City Council. It is. It is. I, first, this is one of these things that I'm really interested, or at least love tracking, is just sort of as streets become privatized and privatized is the wrong word, private and public. Um, here's an item, removing tax breaks for wage violations. Councillor Bergman wants to know if the city can deny or terminate tax break agreements for developments when employee wage violations are present. Um, do you know anything about this? <laughs> yeah, nothing beyond the Chris, summaries. Do you know anything about this, Chris? 
No, I, I, I don't know too much about the uh, the genesis of, uh, of what brought this to the floor. I'd be interested to know. And Patrick, I was actually reading right before I came down, actually, that uh, This Week in Worcester uh, wrote a little summary about it. Uh, it was a good summary. It was a, a little bit more in-depth than the summary that uh, the council has on their own agenda, but it, it, not too much more. But it just seems as though uh, Mo is concerned that if we're going to be handing out a lot of uh, tax breaks to large corporations, that there's at least some follow-up in making sure that they are sticking to the letter of the yes. law on the back nine when it comes to business practice. Well, you know, I literally have never read one of these TIFFs, and probably I should, because I would have assumed that there would be all kinds of stuff in there about, like, you agree that you will follow the law. You could think there might be a rider somewhere in there. <laughs> right, like if, like, if you, like if you turn your, you know, if you turn your... Uh, I don't even know what, you know, if you if you turn your thing into some sort of illegal nuclear waste dump, like your tax yeah. break would go away. Do we need to, I, but maybe we need to explicitly say this? I I don't know. I don't you know. You should have put it in writing if you wanted us to pay our, our, our workers. <laughs> was I actually 145 just, Front, was that a TIF project? 145, which one is that? That's the that's the new big residential construction um, across from the... Oh, the Roseland project. project. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. I don't yeah, know. I don't either. I know that there were some, uh, some issues there that the carpenters had been... Uh, the Carpenters Union and some other folks had been running yes. a, uh, a long-running um, uh, protest or picket. Uh, I have mm. no idea if it's related, though. There was a cross on the other side as well, too, on uh, Franklin at some point. In time. Yeah. But the, um, Mike, you just made me think of something that could be fun. Great. Now, Hank, if in the future, if you ever find like an hour, 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, on the, there's nothing, nothing, nothing to broadcast, I say we find Mike a copy of a TIFF and he can come in for an hour and just read. I would 100% do that. Riveting. Yeah, riveting. Just read the TIFF. To the, and I mean, nobody's Excellent. awake anyways, but, you know, Mike's never read one. I'm sure nobody else has either. Like, what's I would better? love to read that. I love to read written things on the radio. It's really fun. Here's the next item, nationally legalized weed. Last week, there were a bunch of items on the city council agenda about restricting marijuana retailers in the city, including a proposal from Councillor Miro Carlson that there could be only three weed stores in each council district. This week, Councillor Lukes wants the council to vote on whether they want our U.S. congressmen and senators to remove marijuana as a controlled substance from the U.S. code. This is one of these items which is not... Um, it's a trap. It, you know, it... <laughs> this is, yeah, That's this my is, best. This is, I'm sorry, Chris. You've got a better voice for Admiral Akbar. Can you just say it's a trap? It's a trap. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. This is one That's of these... That's exactly what it is. This is one of these great items, uh, yeah, where it's like... it's. Going, yeah, I cannot imagine it being even slightly consequential. I just appreciate that Connie is like has an item on the agenda, which at least to those of us who uh, follow this stuff, looks like she's saying, "Oh, like you guys really, you're like so excited about weed coming into the city. Why don't you just like take a, we'll have a vote where you get to say that, and like let's see who's the tough guy then." Yeah, it's really funny because uh, it is totally a trap, and and Connie, I I love her for these. She's really kind of brilliant. Uh, she she does these every so often and uh another thing that council uh is sort of known for is not wanting to vote on things that are quote unquote outside of their purview yeah so it's kind of a brilliant trap it's like do you want to vote for this thing and and direct someone uh, out of our purview or do you want to vote against it and vote against weed and then you're also trapped so it's brilliant cheers connie is this? I mean, do you think that this is going to be the kind of thing that? I mean, isn't this the kind of thing where the mayor can just say, "Let's table that for now," and then that's the end of the conversation, and then it never goes anywhere after that, and there's no drama? I'm, there's always going to be drama. 
There's weed involved. How can we not have drama in the Worcester City Council? I'm just wondering. I mean, I like this is always my read on these agendas is that it's very hard to make something a make. It's very hard to make a big deal about something if you're the only one who wants to do it and you're not the chair. But that's what's going on here, right? And it's going to be 10 years from now, right? And everybody in the city of Worcester is going to be completely have forgotten about that that time. Remember that time, Mike, when weed was illegal? Nobody will ever remember that. But they'll still be debating how many weed shops can be in a given district, like. (laughs) Right now, you know, today, three sounds like a good number. You know why? Because it's three more than are in any district right now. Mm -hmm. Ten years from now, we're probably going to be looking back and saying, well, why are there only three weed? There's like 14 liquor stores in every district. How come there's only three weed stores? Like, that doesn't make any sense. We're going to look back on the, And they'll still be debating the stuff that nobody else cares about. I think weed is going to be so potent 20 years from now that there's only going to need to be three weed stores. You're just going to buy like a joint a month, and that's going to tide you over for the whole month. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's whatever. This is my this is my theory. This is my theory. Dog licensing. Dog licensing is is almost as good as weed licensing. In 2010, the city began issuing lifetime dog licenses. Do either of you own a dog? Yes, I do. (laughs) Is your dog with real real question is why don't you own a dog? Realizing (laughs) that you're I have a dog in my household that's not mine, so I get all the benefits and none of the negatives. All right. Is um. Realizing that you may be perjuring yourself or whatever, you may be violating some sort of federal law by telling the truth or lying here. Is your dog licensed, Brendan? Yes. Christopher? My dog is in full legal standing with the city of Worcester. <laughs> All right, whatever that means. So, you, so you're aware that there's a lifetime dog license? I'm very aware of this, actually. I had actually. no idea. Um, and I'm only aware of this because uh, my dog popped all of his uh, things off his collar, mm-hmm. and I had to go get a new one. And uh, so, yeah, you have a, a lifetime license number that's assigned to you. You have to renew with a payment every year, just like you used to. Oh, yeah. uh, now the difference seems to be, to me, that um, your little tag will get beat up or lost, and then you have to pay to replace it, which, I mean, it's well, like a couple dollars. Well, that was show, that was the difference, but there's going to be a new difference if the city council has their way as of this really? proposal, because now that dogs are allowed in some city parks, the city clerk would like to go back to annually licensing dogs and to have dog tags that are a different color and I think also a different number every year so that enforcement officers can more easily check which dogs are currently licensed. You know, I, I'm a I'm a frequent visitor to uh, our, our local dog parks. Yes, I've never seen a dog enforcement officer. Uh, maybe it's just because I go on the weekends. I don't they're know. usually undercover. That's no, part of. They take it very seriously. Yeah, well, you know, if they, I think they should recommend hats then. Small, different colored hats. <laughs> <laughs> Sweaters, mean, different dog sweater every year. I don't know if anyone. So. You know, this is one of those things. You know what? The License Commission, when they go to yeah. uh, issue a license for a bar, usually they'll uh-huh. take a tour of the venue before they issue that license to make sure like, they've got a good visual okay. idea. I would like to suggest that maybe the Worcester City Council will actually show up at one of our dog parks together. Wear suits. Wear your nicest suits. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 10.30, between 10.30 and noon on a Saturday, a nice warm day. Mm-hmm. And then tell me how many different colored dog tags you can or even the color of dogs that you can track at any moment in time it's utter chaos the idea that like that makes doesn't make any sense at all but does i mean this this does sort of make it easier though wouldn't it just to be like every dog should have an orange tag because it's 2018 so you're just looking at the dogs and if you see a dog who's got a yellow tag or no tag no no flash of orange you go up to that person and you're like listen yeah i guess that's my question with this on the enforcement end is uh what would you do in that situation? Because there is no enforcement mechanism. Clearly, do, you, do you tase the, the dog police? and haul it yeah, away from do its you, owner. Do you citizen arrest the dog? 
Um, I mean, my dog is uh, is a pretty dapper dude, and um, I'm sure he would be in fully in favor of having fresh new tags every year because mm. um, he's a he's a pretty dapper guy. But yeah, I'm not really sure where that gets us. Can uh, I show given... you? Can I tell you the trick on tagging in, in Worcester? If your dog does lose the tags, right? Have you have you had to get a replacement? Yes. Yeah. So they they hand stamp them, Mike. So you get these super cool tags where it's like they, they, they have like a die set and then they smash it with a hammer. This is and like they, an artisanal tag. It totally it is. is. It's basically like you're hand carving your own dog tag. And that's, I mean, if you really want a really cool one-of-a-kind dog tag in the city of Worcester, you got to lose your original one and pay three bucks for the second one. True story. It's the nicest thing I've ever gotten for the, from the city for $3. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Well, I'm glad you the dog tags are good. I'm, maybe, maybe, maybe we should have an annual one just so that like styles can change, different ideas people come up with. Mascots. We should we get a city mascot every year and put him on the dog tag. They actually used to do that, and they'd go from like a dog bone to like a circle, and like every year I think they were uh, when they did this strict annual licensing. <laughs> yeah, it was a different shape. Direction. It was a different shape, shapes. a different color, and of course those are all memorized by local police officers, so they mm-hmm. know that okay, there's a red dog bone that means it was issued in February of 2016. Yeah. But clearly this person is out of date. Tase the dog. This is where I wonder. Yeah, again, like I I wonder what the dog part angle on this is because it seems like this is this kind of thing which would only normally become a problem if like i don't know you're like publicly intoxicated and walking your dog and causing problems and someone calls the police and the police is like you're publicly intoxicating plus you have a dog violation while i'm here you have a dog violation or if the code people have to come through your building to deal with some issue and they're like oh and all these dogs are unlicensed that otherwise nobody's ever just walking around thinking like my priority right now is to make sure these dogs. Although, I mean, the thing is the different colored dog tags makes that possible, right? That you can say like a cop is going to go to the dog park for 30 minutes and just do a quick visual check, which is something that you, I guess you could not do now because the dog tag is forever. And, and, and the result of that is you gain, what, $12 in revenue uh, in exchange for $80 in uh, time I don't of an employee. Know. Right? I don't like, even it understand. Just doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why the dogs are licensed to begin with. But the that's dogs because, are policing themselves. Mike. That's because I'm a proud libertarian, <laughs> Brendan. This last this last item is an item which I would like. I'm, I'm excited um, because this is an item which was on last week's agenda, which was held over so that it's on this week's agenda. Stop making your own driveway. <laughs> Brendan, stop making your own driveway. In an item held over from last week, Councillor Rosen wants people to stop making DIY driveways that take away curb parking and encourage people to drive back and forth over the curb in front of their house. But we have some clarity on this now, too, because this, I mentioned last week when we were talking There's about There's a bunch of people on this. June Street doing this. This is the, this is the clarity? <laughs> well, no. That, that was what one caller that was who will what not one be named claimed us. that this is, this is rampant on June Street. But, uh, and as a resident of June Street, I can confirm it is that rampant it does on, seem to be pr- – rampant isn't a word no. that I would use. Common? I, I would just <laughs> like to, to, to say, <clears throat> since I, I heard the uh, Rose in the Economy When Rosen yeah. show mm-hmm. the next day yes. – in which Gary Rosen was beside himself over your lack of understanding, uh, Mike, on this on I'm, this issue. I'm I mean, he him. was. I'm with him. He was 100%. very. He was very very upset about this, and he wanted you to to clearly understand. Now he promised that he was going to call in today, and yet here he is missing his big chance. So Councillor Rosen, where are you? Are you to, a coward? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> I, I have to fill in just for a moment. So what he says is is, is that people are actually really are making their own driveways and this is leading to and and you had kind of brought this up last week this is leading to where you could have these neighbor versus neighbor clashes and it is much more of a problem than he felt that mike benedetti was making it out to appreciate you know i I just want brendan to 
stop making his own driveway. <laughs> no, you know what's been what was great though. We were joking about this last week, where I was saying I've actually been wanting to do this because I have a shared driveway at my yeah, house, and yeah. it's just one of those things that. You know, we don't have any plans on moving, but if I went to go sell my house, like it, it's a problem to have any sort of shared property utility with a neighbor. So I'd love to break my note, have a nice slight curve that comes into my front yard and then exits like a normal driveway does. One person's right. driveway. I had the hardest time figuring out, like even calling the city a couple times a few years back as to what that process was. I think I pointed this out to you yesterday, Mike, as a byproduct of the city updating its website. If you search uh, driveways in the city now, Hank, like the first thing that pops up in Google, Google is the permit for uh, getting your own driveway permitted and a getting legitimate a driveway. Right. Well, Gary actually said that there were there were individuals who they make their own driveway, yeah. and then somebody else comes along and parks on the street. They're actually parking legally. Right. Then you have these clashes where you've now blocked in somebody right, who has made right. their own driveway. Right. No, and it, it makes perfect sense in that capacity. And, and what the crazy thing was, the permit for a curb cut is a buck sixty-five. It's probably one of the most reasonably priced municipal permits that you could possibly. And of course, you know, you got to do that through a contractor because you got all the dig safe stuff. And, right, right. But it's 165 bucks to be able to decide where your sidewalk ends. I mean, you know, do you know how much time Shell Silverstein put into uh, figuring out where the sidewalk ends? Where the ends? sidewalk ends, and he didn't even have a permit. He didn't have a permit for that. Are we ready to go to a commercial break, ladies and gentlemen? This is 508. We will continue after these important messages. Everyone loves him. He's all alone in the world. His mother and father weighed several hundred pounds, but little Ernie was born to be a mini pig. <laughs> no bigger than the palm of your hand, no larger than a telephone. Born to go through his entire life as a mini pig. Yes, the smallest pig in all the world, and he is here right now. Come in and see him now. Just one pound of bacon on the hoof, alive. And here now on 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Michael Benedetti. This is Brendan Mulligan. Yep, here I am. And this is Chris Robarge. I have the sneaking suspicion that I just got uh, analogied with a mini pig. If you want to identify as Ernie the mini pig, you can, because unfortunately, listener, Ernie the mini pig is not actually on the show today. That was uh, false advertising. I got pulled in as a backup. Uh, <laughs> that's right that's right we couldn't get the pig but we could get you couldn't man get the pig had to settle um for me. so that's the, we just we just dealt with the council agenda i think we just put gary rosen in his place too in the last segment so i feel good about that um would you guys rather talk do we want to start interviewing chris about what makes chris robarge tick or do we want to talk about pedestrian traffic fatalities you know why don't you go right into pedestrian traffic fatalities all right all right so this um sounds happy so this is good. This is a report from the Governor's Highway Safety Association called Pedestrian Traffic Fatalities by State 2017 Preliminary Data. Um, it says, in recent years, the number of pedestrian fatalities in the United States has grown substantially faster than all other traffic deaths. The number of pedestrian fatalities increased 20% from 2007 to 2016, while at the same time all other traffic deaths decreased by 14%. Pedestrian deaths as a proportion of total motor vehicle crashes, crash deaths, in, increased steadily from 11% in 20, 2007 to 16% in 2016. Pedestrians now account for a larger proportion of traffic fatalities than they have in the past 33 years. And the funny thing is, some states had pedestrian deaths go down, and some states had pedestrian deaths go up. Massachusetts is one of the ones that had it go up. 
They say, without making a direct correlation or claiming a definitive link, more recent factors contributing to the increase in pedestrian fatalities might include the growing number of state and local governments that have decriminalized the recreational use of marijuana. (laughs) Of course, that's going to be the issue. Which can impair judgment and reaction time for all road users and increasing use of smartphones, Mm. which can be a significant source of distraction regardless of travel mode. The seven states, including our own, in D.C. that legalized recreational marijuana use between 2012 and 2016 reported a collective 16.4% increase in pedestrian fatalities for the first six months of 2017 versus the first six months of 2016. That's 16% increase from 16 to 7, 2016 to 2017. Whereas all other states reported a collective 5.8% decrease in pedestrian fatalities over that time. And with regard to cell phone use, they also find some correlation between increasing ownership of smartphones and increasing pedestrian fatalities. So here's the question, Mike. Yes, Brendan. When they jump to the weed conclusion, are they saying it's because there are too many drivers smoking weed or because there's too many pedestrians smoking they weed? They say explicitly everybody everybody's stoned. Everybody is stoned. That's the, that's, that, that, that's the basis of their theory. The same thing with smartphones, that they don't say, oh, if the pedestrian would just put down his smartphone mm-hmm. and stop texting while he's walking through the crosswalk. They say everybody's more distracted, pedestrians, drivers, everybody. I can, t- I can see some of that on the, the distracted side. I think it's a bit of a leap going to weed. But. I mean, it's a, it's, a substantial, it's a substantial difference. Now, the, one, um, the, the suggestions that they have are basically, um, they're basically along the lines of the, like we need to do what you could call a more European model. We need to have smaller streets. We need to have um, you know, more streets with bike lanes. We need yeah. to have more complicated more complicated streets streets with fewer distractions but maybe um you know like like actually the complete streets model is something something that they cite as being something that decreases pedestrian deaths and i think that progressives too often say oh we should just do what europe does Mm -hmm. not not you know and i want to acknowledge that like as european americans i think our ancestors made 100 percent the right call to get out of that (laughs) hellhole and come over here so let's not do what europe does but like 40 years ago, we had way lower pedestrian deaths than mm-hmm. they did in Europe. And everyone just died in cars. But they've gotten like a way better. They've gotten like way better over the last 40 years. And we've yeah. stayed the same over the last 40 years. So as of about 10 or 15 years ago, Europe got better at it than us. So we just need to reclaim our old mantle for having the best street safety that we used to have a generation ago and say we can have the best street safety again today. But that's what I was thinking while uh, you were talking. You know, a lot has changed in the you know last couple of decades in regards to the relationship between pedestrians and drivers, right? Like you simultaneously, you almost have like this uh, bifurcation in, in society where you've got like a huge population that wants to start moving back to bicycles, uh, walking, uh, just a, as right. modes of transportation in the city. You've got a lot of folks that like just reject that wholesale. At the same time, you've got more cars on the road than we ever had. It, it only kind of seems to reason that stands to reason that if you're going to have more people walking about and you're going to have more cars on the road, that that number of times that those two things collide is going to unfortunately keep rising. Yeah. I mean, this is you could make the same argument, too, that, you know, you go back uh, 30, 40 years when uh, driving was uh, probably the most dangerous activity Americans could participate in because things like the Ford Pinto existed, where if you threw a baseball at the the rear bumper, it was going to burst into flames, right? And there were no seatbelts or anything. And it People died all the time in cars, so we, we figured out that relationship between human beings inside their giant 1,000-pound uh, metal boxes. Now we got to go in the other direction and say, okay, now yeah. we get all these pe- people in the metal boxes. What do we do for the folks on the outside? I mean, I think we should keep everybody safe. 
That's my opinion. I know. I know. Oh, yeah, no, no, I know no, no, you. you. <laughs> I know you disagree with that, but that's okay. No, I'm not suggesting that we put you giant people spikes and knives on the front of cars and just make it quicker. I'm not, I'm Mad saying. Max Fury Road, man, great movie. One one thing I'll say now to the silver lining to this is that Massachusetts is still the 11th safest state. Yeah. Um. So like we're doing great. But no, but, but that's kind of my point though is that. Even we, we see this on a regular basis in Worcester. I can't remember a time where you saw so many pedestrian fatalities here in the city of Worcester. It seems like it's a, it's a, at least a weekly it, occurrence. No, it's I tell you, I, and I don't know if this is just because things like Mass Live and the TNG local RSS feed make it so that I can follow this stuff on an ongoing basis. But like it's like every day some pedestrian is hit. Yeah. It seems like every every week somebody is killed by a car walking around the town. And maybe you know. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye, and dark within. And this is Chris Robarge. And this is Brendan Mellican, and I am Michael Benedetti, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. Chris Robarge, how are you doing? I am doing even better than when you asked me at the beginning of the show. I'm glad to hear that. that. I'm glad to hear that. Um... That is reassuring. I, I a, I'm always worried that we make people worse. Uh, no, through, no, I'm, through I'm through feeling being better. Here. I awesome. think I'm going to be, you know, probably like a therapeutic way. Or? The time. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Crystal. Let's talk about pedestrian deaths, you know, lots of good stuff. Yeah. Um, just one thing I would point out, not yeah. that I would advocate for necessarily having higher uh, jaywalking fines, but do you know what the jaywalking fine in Massachusetts is? It's $1. It's $1. Yeah. $2 for second and subsequent offense. Yeah, no, it's, they're, I'm glad it goes up. It does. It does. It does. That's a huge increase when you, just from a percentage. It's hundred percent. Yeah. Um, no, I'm with you hundred percent there, Mike. And I, I think we did a show on this. When this is one of the first times I realized how militant Mike can be when it comes to uh, the freedom uh, inherent on pedestrians. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely absurd. I mean, that's one of those things that, like jaywalking, it, it, this uh, West Coast, like San Diego, California. Yeah. Like that's like that could be like a crippling fine for jaywalking. Uh, but it's also like they take driving really serious out there too, because you've got you know four-way, four-lane courtesy stops uh, that they would terrify anybody that's that thinks Kelly Square is you know a tough tough yeah, neighborhood yeah. to drive through, right? I mean, like. It, it they they take driving much more seriously. It's much more structured, and then on the flip side, pedestrians are expected to to to, to respect that sort of ecosystem yeah. as well. It's a very very different environment out there for sure. Yeah. Chris, I want to ask you about the the about, I want to ask you about the ACLU first of all. Sure. How's the, how are things going with the ACLU in our local area? Things are going well. Um, you know, as per usual, we're. Uh, we're very busy. Um, and and what do you all? I feel like every once in a while I hear about the ACLU suing the city or whatever. Uh, but between then, it seems like many years can pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you know, we uh, we, we do, especially uh, over the last several years, have some additional functions uh, to just you know, um, being a litigation and and lobby firm. Uh, you know, pretty much exclusively, which is kind of the history of, of the ACLU, um, you know, doing law reform through through lawsuits and doing law reform through um, through law change. Um, we have a we have a lot of different arms now, uh, one of which is a field and public advocacy arm, um, which happens to be uh, what I am primarily attached to. Um, so we're kind of working on a lot of different things. Um, locally, we've been trying to respond to um, the influx of volunteers, uh, opportunities, and requests that we had last year. Uh, so I've been working with folks who have wanted to come forward and uh, and help us out. Uh, we've been doing a lot of trainings. 
um, training people to um, know better how to lobby their uh, state and local representatives and uh, know your rights trainings, um, media trainings, talking to people about you know how to interact with the press, how to sort of get your point across. Um, we are also uh, going to be looking at uh, doing some work potentially on a city ordinance um, that's kind of uh, forthcoming. Um, can you talk about this? Yeah, no, I can. Um, we are uh, starting to do some some organizing around a uh, city level ordinance called CCOPS. Um, and uh, has yet to be introduced, um, but we're we're sort of um, pulling together some strategy and getting some folks together who are uh, ready to work on this. What CCOPS does, well, CCOPS is uh, community control over police spending. And, okay. Um, what CCOPS aims to do is to uh, is to put some you know put some protocol in place essentially so that. Um, Policing equipment, particularly surveillance and sort of paramilitary equipment, which have become increasing concerns for us and I think for a lot of the public, um, that there's there's some structure and some protocol around how those things uh, are implemented. So right now, if the police decide that they want, say, um, a tank, a tank. Um, they can apply to a military surplus program that had been shut down by Obama but has been reinstituted by uh, President Trump, and they can get one. If they decide that they wanted uh, to put 100 cameras um, you know, at every intersection or, or in all of our schools. In the dog um, parks. In the dog parks. If they decided they so wanted to put cameras own. in the dog parks, yeah. they could apply to the Department of Justice for a, for a technology grant and say, we want to surveil our dog parks. We want to we want to really know what's going on there. We want it fed into the police station in real time. They apply for the grant. They Let's presume they are awarded the grant. Now they have the money. They buy the stuff, and they're off mm -hmm. to the races. Um, what we're looking to do is add a few steps in that process. Um, one of those steps would be um, some level of, uh, of of structure and protocol getting set up. How do you intend to use this equipment? Uh, what are the parameters in which the data will be available and to whom? Uh, how long will you be keeping the data? Um, we want there to be some analysis of um, you know potential privacy mm -hmm. uh, and surveillance pitfalls. Uh, and ultimately, for there to be at least a public hearing in front of city council where people can come and speak for or against the proposal and uh, and for there actually to be a city council vote. So that's essentially uh, what CCOPS does, as well as trying to, um, again, close the loophole a little bit on uh, on these um, military surplus purchases. Brendan. Like so, so, so currently, so currently, the well, that was a lot more yeah. thorough than anything that you and I ever do on the show, Mike. So yeah, I've got nothing. We can just wrap it up and go home. I was know? no, I was just gonna say like, like, so like currently the procedures that like they would apply for the federal grant, and then at some point the council uh, will vote in favor of accepting the grant, and then it will happen. Um, to my knowledge or my understanding, uh, I don't know that council. I, I guess council does take a a, a technical vote on. Saying you grants. know, there's a grant money. Um, let's vote to to take it. But, right. but you know, practically, um, it's not something that's discussed. Uh, I don't know of a situation in which we've ever said no. You can't have that grant that you were awarded, um, and you can't spend that money. Um, so, so we have some surveillance equipment in Worcester already, and we have it quite a bit, actually. We have a, a number of cameras that are mounted to traffic poles. Um, there are cameras within all of the city public housing. There's cameras in some of the schools. Uh, we have a shot spotter system that helps to triangulate um, gunshots. 
Um, we have uh, at least four automatic license plate readers uh, that are stationarily mounted in places in the city. Every time you drive by one, it reads your license plate and it creates a timestamp. It says, you know, this vehicle with this registered driver was in this place at this time. Um, we That program, for example, um, there were some questions once it was implemented after the fact uh, saying, well, what do you plan to use this for? Are you going to use this for traffic citations? They said, no, we're not going to use it for that. Well, are you going to use it for this? And said, no, we're not going to use it for that. Um, we don't really have an answer from the city or the police department as to what they intend to use this equipment for. We don't know how long they keep the data, so I presume it's as long as they can. Right. We don't know who can access the data, so I presume it's anyone in the police department. We don't know what protocol there is to for a standard by which they would have to reach to be able to access that data, so I presume it's whenever they feel like it. Uh, we don't really know, and that's kind of what we're looking to uh, to avoid and to correct with with something like a CCOP sort Because in Because so the, in the past, it's just sort of been like, hey, we want to get some cameras. Is it going to be... Is it going to be invasive to people's privacy? No. Okay, buy our cameras. And this would require the police to actually say, okay, here's what this really is. Here's what happens with the data. Here's the scenario around this. What do you think? Yes. And it provides also uh, an avenue for public input, uh, which we also don't currently have. We never, at, at, any, at no point in, in our current process of acquiring police surveillance equipment uh, or paramilitaries, mil you know, military surplus equipment, do we ever say to the people of Worcester, hey, do you want this? Um, do you know what the pros and the cons are? Do you think the pros outweigh the cons? Or, you know, do you think that maybe we should uh, reconsider this? We, do, we don't ever have that process. Um, this at least creates a, a sort of minimal structure by which to have that process. There would at least have to be a city council public meeting in which... Um, these sorts of purchases would be discussed. And the cool thing about that from, you know, is that includes in that conversation too, like because you're talking about citizens of Worcester, also a lot of cops too, right? Like yep. there's a, there's probably a good case to be made that like, you know, if a grant comes up that you could buy the hypothetical tank that like there's probably a lot of police officers who would say, you know, maybe that's not a great, great use of money. Maybe we could go in for some comfy shoes or something that might be a little bit more practical day to day. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in, in, in a lot of these conversations, oftentimes that like that's part of the conversation that's overlooked as well, too, that you, you end up with like bureaucratic sort of management decisions that seem to make sense because, hey, free money, don't want to pass that up. And meanwhile, there might be better sources of funding to chase down that could be more relevant even from the employee perspective in those universes who, at the end of the day, we like to think are just trying to do a good job. Yeah, there's also a lot of these grants that are um, that are pretty sort of widely applicable. Um, uh, there's been a, a few Department of Justice grants, um, at least one of which was essentially for any technology use that the police department wanted to propose. Mm -hmm. And so I, th I hope that, you know, um, that if we, you know, are able to move forward in this process and eventually get an ordinance introduced and passed, that one of the conversations we can have is, is how do we want to use this money? Let's not leave this money on the table, right. but do we want to use it to buy this kind of thing that has these sorts of, you know, pros and cons or this other thing? Yeah. Uh, that maybe is is more in line with what citizens and and potentially uh, rank and file officers actually would want and need. Very cool. I want to I want to shift gears for a moment. The last time the last time I think you were on 508 was maybe when you were talking about being on the Citizens Advisory Council and you were talking about boards and commissions and all that stuff. And we were sharpening knives. And we you were, were and I was sharpening knives, knives although that. unsuccessfully. And then and, and then I feel like sharpening knives. Pre previous to you being the uh, I think is. If I get the chronology right, previous to you being the ACLU guy, the big 
public Chris Robarsh thing was whenever you resigned from the Citizens Advisory Council. That was right? while I was. That was while you. Uh, that were was while I had, stuff. have had this job. Yeah, so that was, that was four so that, or five years ago. All right, and so you right, so you you were on this, which is sort of the board of boards, the commission of commissions, um, uh, and then you had resigned from this because the city hired a new city manager, and the process seemed sort of lackluster bad, corrupt, I don't know which word you would use for to describe that process, but you publicly resigned and you were like, I am not going to be part of part of all of this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say the process was something along the lines of non-existent um, or to, somewhere between non-existent and uh, very farcical. I guess we did technically have a process. We did technically interview uh, outside candidates. Um but yeah, that that was what happened, um, and and that's the reason that I resigned from the uh, from the Citizen Advisory Council. Um, and you know, my reasoning sort of behind that is, and I explained this to the to the city manager who was you know nice enough to call me in for a meeting afterwards um, after I resigned to to talk. Um, it, it really has nothing to do with the specific choice that we made for city manager, but uh, when. Being a, a representative of a, of a public body that is specifically uh, empowered and given the responsibility to go out and recruit people and sort of bring them into the city government fold, and and it requires you to have a, you know a, a faith in the um, integrity of your city government, and it requires you to to convince people who might not have that that they should have it. Um, that this is a real thing that we, you know, we're, you know, these boards and commissions really matter. That, that your voice process, could be heard. That your voice could be heard. That you're, you're going to be a part of this amazing uh, public volunteer uh, process. Um, and in light of the way that that all went down, I, I just, uh, I wasn't feeling it anymore. Right. Cause that was the kind of thing where if you had an opinion and you needed your voice to be heard, it was like your voice is not going to be heard. Ed Augustus is going to be the city. The, you know, Ed Augustus, he's a buddy of people on the city council. He's been involved with democratic politics a long time. He's going to be the city manager. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We'll have some meetings and whatever. Don't worry about it. Yeah. That was kind of that process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the process and, and we had some good <clears throat> candidates come in. I, I got to meet, I think all of those candidates when they came in for their public meeting. And, uh, and in the end we, we decided to step completely outside of that process that we paid a fair bit of money to, to undertake by the way. And uh, we decided to appoint someone who'd specifically said that he wasn't going to take the position. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, the the merits of that specific person aside, um, the process uh, really was was awful. And yeah. uh, and it, it, it didn't leave me in a position where I felt like I could be an advocate for city government at large. How do you how do you feel about how how do you feel about how uh, the city manager has done in the years since then? Um, you know, I think it's complicated. Um, I, I'm interested in what you guys also think, but, um, I, you know, I, I feel like it's kind of been a mixed bag, honestly. Um, I was hopeful that there would be sort of more of a, of a tonal change in the way that things were done. I don't, I, I don't really know why. I mean, that, I guess it's part of why I was upset with the process and, and part of why, frankly, I wish we had more seriously considered an outside candidate. Um, you know, I, I think that, Ed is a good guy, um, and I think that he is really trying to do a good job in Worcester. And I think he, on a lot of fronts, he's he's done that. Um, but I, I look at you know 
the interplay between um, between him and council and some other entities in the city. And and I I realized that you know I, I think ultimately um, this is something I, I hope council will think about because I, I know it can be easier uh, or feel better to bring in an inside guy, a Worcester guy, um, but. You know, I think, I think there really is a merit to considering someone from outside the city who isn't beholden and doesn't have this history, um, because I think whether, you know, whether intentions are good or not, uh, that does all wind up factoring in, in how things go down. And I, I don't I think we could have a, a better, more uh, transparent city government if we had done things differently. Brenda, did you have any any feedback on that? No, I think that was. I know you. Eloquent. I know you would lovely. interrupt me if you did. I don't know why I keep asking if you have any feedback. I would. No, I, I was. No, it was solid. Are we ready to go to a commercial break? I think Hank is eager to go to a break. I think we take us out, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to one more commercial. Please don't go away. We'll be right back on Five Hundred Eight, a show about Worcester. Thrill of a lifetime. Get your tickets and come in. Killers of the Amazon can devour a cow in a matter of seconds, can leave nothing but the bare bones. First time shown in your city and you may never have the chance to see it again. Alive, 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 the deadly piranhas. $10,000 reward if not absolutely alive. Never before shown, and you may never again have the chance to see it again. The most terrifying flesh eaters from the deep, Chris Robarge, Brendan Melican, and myself, Michael Benedetti, on the 508 Radio Show. Yeah, Mike, I'm feeling a lot less good about Edgar the mini pig after you go right into this. <laughs> what, like whatever happened to Edgar? Why are you talking <laughs> We were all so excited about him, and then he's gone missing, and suddenly there's all these piranhas that are flourishing yeah, in our studio. This is, uh, this is chronological. This is terrifying. I really, you know, I've kind of been thinking about them. I mean, like the piranhas, I obviously think about the piranhas all the time, but today I've been thinking a lot about the mini pig of like, hey, hey there, people in mid- middle America, we have a small pig. <laughs> pay some money to look at a small pig. <laughs> like, I don't know how that works. Well, you know what's, what's kind of – the last couple of weeks that you've been doing these Carnival Barker routines, it's the thing I keep thinking about is that, you know, we're mostly like a back-to-the-future generation uh, for as moviegoers here. And, like, oh, it's kind of cool to think, like, well, what would, somebody, what would somebody in the 50s think about somebody from the 80s showing up and all this crazy, wacky language and clothing and whatnot? How would somebody – were like were, were carnivals and carnival barkers were like all the rage. Like, how would they feel about coming into the future and realizing you could just go to Petco and buy a piranha? You were talking about that, this like, last yeah, time. I mean, like, there's mini pigs everywhere. And like, who doesn't have a mini pig? We, we don't even want to talk about mini pig licensing. <laughs> I don't even know if we have yeah. mini pigs. Where would you buy a really tiny pig in Worcester? Like Probably a, Craigslist. Like an unhealthily small pig. Basically, an unhealthy pig. I wouldn't I want an unhealthy pig. It That's, sounds like it's the size of a telephone or your hand. That is how you start a zombie outbreak, Mike. Telephones you don't bring big? I don't know. Um, you want to talk about Method Man, Brendan. Well, you know, we have Chris up here, and I, I think as long as we've known each other, I mean, that's, you know, we've, we've always kind of had a this music, right? And, and in the last couple of weeks, you and I, Mike, and some of our guests have been talking about a lot that's been going on in the city in terms of uh, changes down at the Palladium, uh, culture, nightlife in general in the city. And I, I know that... Chris and I both have tickets for Red Man and Method Man on April 6th, right? We should be excited about that. Do we think that they're actually going to take stage? I hope so. (laughs) Because the last time that that, that Wu-Tang was in town, they didn't take the stage. They left the promoters with, I think it was like a $30,000 bill for the hotel room at the old Crown Plaza. None of of Wu-Tang took the stage? Never showed up. They never showed up. up. They completely, they they went like old school. 
they went old school like we're gonna we're gonna party and destroy the hotel room like every and they destroyed every ounce of the hotel room never hit the stage and then just left the city and apparently remember when you were talking earlier Whoa. like how crazy is this that you have to put a put in a rider for a, a construction contract they actually have to obey, obey the law like apparently when you're when you're a young uh kind of fresh promoter trying to bring someone big to the city, you also have to put it in a rider saying like, yeah, you're actually going to come and get you on stage. Will, will go don't to just, the venue. Don't just make that assumption because then you end up having to pay for both the hotel room that they destroyed wow. as well as having to cover the losses for the venue uh, that you, you booked for the night and didn't actually get any money for. Yeah. But well, so, well, I hope, I hope for, they take this I hope for both your sakes that works out okay. I'm taking my uh, 13-year-old son to that show. As well, because I think that's that's an important life lesson to, to realize that you can get all amped up to see Method Man and Red, Red Man. Like this will be the one time in your life maybe you're going to see the Rock Wilder live, but they might not even come out. So we'll just we're going to stand here patiently, way. and this this might be either the greatest moment in your life or the greatest disappointment you've ever experienced. I feel like Meth and Red have uh, have grown up a fair bit. I hope so. so. I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that uh, that the, we're going to see. Those guys are what in their 60s now? <laughs> 75. Probably yeah. close. No, that's. Actually, speaking of old men, Herbie Hancock, he's working a new album with Kendrick Lamar. Did and you a bunch that? of other people, yeah. yeah. Um, some really Look at uh, Mike over amazing. here. He's, he's, he, go ahead. Have your no, show, on, guys. No. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm totally okay with this. Yeah. Do it. Do it. I think pick up the phone. I think Gary is waiting to talk to you. Is there seriously Mike. a phone call? No. No. Okay. Thank God. Okay. Yeah. How are you? How are you feeling about? How are you feeling about acts coming through Worcester these days? Uh, I, th- I think it's great. I think it's one of the uh, one of the best things that's uh, happening in the city right now. And um, and there's quite a number of things happening in the city right now. So uh, that's saying something. Um, yeah, I, I don't know who they have brought in as a uh, as a show booker over at the Palladium. Um, I probably should know. Um, but... uh, we we know. Hmm. What's the... we're not telling you. No, no. We actually had a uh, Tony Scavone who's assisting in that r- role. Uh up here uh, a couple three three or four weeks ago and yeah yeah, they're excited about it too it seems like that's the really cool thing it's not just like there are people in the city music fans are excited about what's happening the venue actually seems to be uh sharing that excitement as well did you know that they replaced the boards on the stage with boards from madison square garden is it Madison Square Garden yeah, or Boston it was Garden? The, Madison Square Garden. The stage itself is made of the old basketball court from Madison Square Garden. No kidding. Yeah, somehow they managed to find the wood from Madison Square Garden from I the parquet, th- and that's what the stage is made of. I think for that, I could forgive one of the few things that they've done that I was really upset about, which was taking down the E.M. Lowe's sign. That was uh, a that tough one. That made me pretty yeah. sad. But did you see the new... The new the, so we've all seen the LED sign that went up there. Did you see the addition they just threw on in the last couple of weeks? So now there's a palladium sign that's very similar to the old E.M. Lowe sign on the front. Oh, yeah, it's like the, the facade yeah. of the, yep. the LED sign. So it used to be like the side to side. If you're coming down the street, you could see the big right. LED. Now they've got this really slick old school sign that says palladium, like plugged into that. So it just looks fantastic. Well, I'll say one thing uh, not related to music on this front, which yes. is um, shout out to our uh, demolition delay ordinance for the fact that we even still have a uh, Worcester Palladium yeah. because that was uh, very much a question uh, not very long ago. What, several years ago? Five, six yeah. years ago? Yeah, no, totally. the idea of just tearing it down. Yeah. I yeah. remember Bruce, the Snow Ghost Russell, was very upset at this idea. Which says a lot because Bruce's solution to most problems is is to burn it down. This is the one part of the, this is the one part of the city that he was like, you can't destroy the no, we everything around you it. You can't destroy metal. You can't destroy the metal soul of the city I'm, of the Worcester. I'm glad Bruce got his wish. Worcester is supposed to be a surface lot for the Palladium. That's the way it's supposed to be. You keep the Palladium, burn, burn everything, everything else, else down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you guys have a show coming up that you're excited about. You can come, I, Mike. 
I've still sort of been waiting for that show to come to the Palladium that's going to be the one that gets me back down there again, and I, it hasn't happened. I think I don't... Maybe what I, is that show? Like, I don't do we, know. I don't know what I'm keeping, supposed to be keeping my like eyes open. The only reason I ever used to go was for the Metal and Hardcore Festival, mm-hmm. which I don't care about that much anymore. I think it was the Metal... It's coming up again mm-hmm. soon, I guess, the Metal and Hardcore Festival. And then Motorhead, who are all dead or whatever and are not going to come back. So it's now I'm like... Pull. I mean, who would I go to the Palladium to see? I don't know. I'm becoming an old man who doesn't care about new Insane music. Insane Led Zeppelin, the original Led Zeppelin, I would definitely see. Not no, I not that old. Come not on. the insane clown posse. I Judas love Priest. Zeppelin. I think they're there like next week. Although I think well, that's I love Zeppelin out. too, but you're making it sound like that's the music I grew up with in the sense it that is like the music I grew up, but like not in the sense that it was just like new and coming out. That was no. Zeppelin. Yeah, you, you borrowed that one. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Chris, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Stay strong. Keep keep the ACLU ACLUing, man. This right is a, must Likewise. be an exciting era to be involved with that group. It definitely is. It feels like a very particularly uh, special moment in time. So yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, and you guys keep doing you. Well, and people at home keep doing Worcester. Gary Rosen, I know you're listening to this. I know you've been restraining yourself from making a phone call because you don't want to swear on the radio, and I appreciate that. Everybody, we will be back next week from a basement on Main Street. This has been 508, a show about Worcester.